We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome back to the third sub podcast. We're back after a short little weekend of uh, white caps and uh, other soccer endeavors, and uh, we're back for episode sixty. And I'm your co-host Alexander Gongiaruzic. I'm joined by Samuel Rowan. And before we dive into things, Sam, how's it going this week? Yeah, it's going well. Um, another another white caps match against Portland. Another one nil loss. Unfortunately, is the uh, the playoff picture gradually closes in i mean it's not officially official just yet but unless there's a scheduling miracle and uh san jose's able to play lafc it looks like the white caps are going to miss the playoffs but uh didn't ruin my weekend i still uh was able to get out you know spend some time outside did a little bit of fishing which was fun and uh yeah lots to dive into with this one i'm we're gonna obviously chat about the match against portland preview a little bit of uh, LA Galaxy as well this upcoming weekend and uh, talk about the player of the year voting for the Whitecaps and and just some other miscellaneous topics we have in our minds. So uh, episode number 60, you know, the big 6-0. So uh, looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, it was a heartbreak, I guess, for for the Whitecaps. Maybe, maybe not so much a heartbreak if you're a realist, if you're a, a long-term or if you're a pessimist too, I guess, to be fair. But uh, tough result for the Whitecaps. I mean, even if a, you, you take out the, the circumstances of playoffs and this and that, to, to lose to the Portland Timbers, your rivals, no matter the circumstance, be it preseason to now in a big game, it's it's tough to see the Whitecaps lose to a rival 1-0. I mean, for, for them, it, it just wasn't a good year for them in Cascade, if you think about it. They lost to Portland in preseason, and in regular season, they went 0-5 against Seattle and Portland, only scoring one goal via penalty spot from what we all agree was a very dodgy penalty from, I guess, Lucas Cavallini when they played Seattle a few weeks ago. So a Cascadian nightmare continues. The Whitecaps didn't get any favorable results from around the league. I mean, San Jose... For the San Jose Earthquakes, their MVP may have been a positive case on the LA, on LAFC's roster at this point, based on how things go, and they'll they'll make the playoffs. But to be fair to San Jose, they were in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure they qualified, and then the PPG happened, the points per game change, and they were out. So it's been a it's been a wild, wild Western conference, and I mean it's fitting. The West is always known as the wild, wild West. But yeah, what a weekend, I guess, in MLS, and what a what an anticlimactic end for the Whitecaps to bow out when they'll possibly ending. Their, their playoff hopes. Well, I just love how it's it's not officially official either, right? Like you don't get that finality of like, oh, that's and that's it. The Whitecaps won't be making the playoffs. Instead, it's this, well, we're pretty sure they're not going to make the playoffs, but there's still all these crazy things that could happen. So, uh, you know, that's just very on brand for this year of 2020 and the Whitecaps' is, uh, season. And you brought up the Cascadia stats, which I was, I'd actually been pulling up while you were talking because if you didn't mention it, I was going to. But the other thing I want to bring up is a uh, shout out to hard journalists for tweeting this out. The Whitecaps' road record since MLS is back, nine away matches, one eight, no, obviously no draws, which I mean, that's what's really at stake for this last match is they can't draw this one after going the whole season. But <laughs> One eight no, three total goals scored in those nine matches. Two of those coming from open play against RSL. One from the penalty spot, which was an absolute gift at the Sounders. Shut out seven of their nine home matches. Outscored twenty one to three. No road goal scored from open play in the last four hundred and fifty six minutes. Like you just you can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> Well, so looking at that, I, I, methinks that this wasn't a good year for the Whitecaps to only play three games at home or four games at home. Boy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, t- it's tough, right? And 
I'm actually I will give credit in the in the grand scheme of this season. The way that the Whitecaps were able against teams other than Portland to build a bit of confidence and a bit of home field advantage in Portland was was impressive. Like the way that they were able to rally around that weird situation was a uh, was one of the few positives out of this year. But I mean, you just can't if you're the West, this Whitecaps team, if you're Axel Schuster, if you're Mark Dos Santos, you can't come back next year and say, "Oh, we were we were a good team that got unlucky." Like that is more than just getting unlucky. That is a consistent pattern of not being competitive. Yeah, well, you look at some of the factors leading up to that. I mean, again, a team that didn't just to win to win an MLS, you need to grind out road results. And that's where, for example, a lack of draws. Again, you look at the record, if you know, even three or four of those L's turn into D's, that they're all of a sudden in a lot better of a position than they can say they ground grinded their way to the playoffs. You can't in MLS teams that just get points on the road tend to do well. Obviously you need a decent home record, but most teams for the most part, they don't, every team in MLS is a good home team. It almost feels like it's just getting those results on the road and the white caps, they just didn't do enough of it. And yes, it was a hard situation for them this year, but even then aside from, an LA Galaxy win back in March. Like, did they even win on the road? I mean, MLS's back doesn't really count because everyone was on the at home or on the road, if you look at it. And since then, I mean, they went 0 for 3 on the road in, in the Canadian series, and then it was RSL, and that was it. Like, yeah, that, so I think that's not, you know, that, that's not gonna, that's not gonna get you to the playoffs, especially when you have to to play so many so many games on the road and. To be fair, I don't even know what their split to home games and counting the Portland games to road games is. It must be actually it must be surprisingly here. I, I've got it. I've got it for you, game. Alex. If yeah. if you want it. So according according oh, to MLS.com, sorry, what was that? Oh, he's okay. I said go for it. Yeah. So according to MLS.com, uh, the Whitecaps are five four and zero oh at home. I mean, obviously that's in a bit of a bit of air quotes and two eight and zero oh on the road. Two eight and zero. Oh. So like, what is, I guess indeed I've seen RSL. Yeah, yeah. Surprised where the fire one counts in that. I guess I wonder if it's home or just not counted, like the fire. Yeah, who who knows? I mean, <laughs> I don't know how they're gonna. They're filing away those. Uh, well, I think there were official home and road teams for those MLS's back matches that counted for the regular season. I just don't don't know. You know, should those really count? Probably not. But I think the the thing that stood out to me from this this Portland match was that you know thinking about going into the podcast was that how are we going to come up with something new to talk about? Because I found that a lot of the themes were were very similar. I mean, you have a lack of creativity and attack. You have some, some positive moments. I mean, I thought Christian Dahomey looked pretty good. Lucas Cavallini certainly had a chance or two. But then, you know, through the midfield, not capable of holding enough possession. And, you know, it's again one of those typical Whitecaps defensive performances where they look good for the most part, but critical error at a critical time. And uh, Ranko Vasilinovic kind of caught napping once again and it just feels like you could make a five or six item checklist of typical Whitecaps defeats and they all have the same characteristics right lack of chances decent defensive play low possession critical errors it's very formulaic at this point and uh you know, I know Mark DeSantis and the coaching staff, they always try to point to the positives and the things they they did right or the things they could have done slightly differently. But it, I don't know. And going into next season, I think uh, it, it's a very, we say this almost every year, but it's an important off season to, to try to change the narrative a little bit and, and take a very honest look at this team. And I tweeted it out after the match, but I think that as we chatted about with uh, Ben Rigetti when the 90-plus guys came on the podcast, missing the playoffs, in my estimation at least, is a good thing because it forces this team to take a serious look at, at the way the year went and, and evaluate what needs to be improved. Now, does that mean they actually go and do that? Obviously not. There's no guarantees. But I think it 
it creates a bit of a harsher reality where things at least need to be examined with a critical eye. And I'm really hoping that the Whitecaps don't trot out because of this switch to the points per game. I really hope that we don't get the well. We should have made the playoffs, but we were screwed over by a late change to the to the point system. Like To me, that's not the right message or the right lesson to learn out of this year is that, oh, we were so close to the playoffs, but we missed. It's like, okay, we were a significant step away from the team we wanted to be. How do we remedy that going into next season? Well, yes and no. I mean, in terms of them crying to the, the masses that they were screwed over, honestly, what, what I've come to learn is that any sort of ploy like that is all, it's all to rally the masses. I mean, for example, MLSsoccer.com doesn't really follow the Whitecaps all that much. So for them, they'll feed off if, that. If at all, really. People around the league will be like, oh, they got screwed over, whatever, and they'll forget about them. And I'll leave the Whitecaps to kind of do their business in a little more peace. So honestly, I don't, care what their approach is to blaming the points per game this or that just as long as on this if they're on the same page internally especially axel schuster his first full off season in charge they're you know they need to to focus on the right areas and, and adapt and build and i mean this team's tough you look at what they they have right now you can see okay maybe they're one change away from being good but they could also make five or six changes and i just think they need to a make smart changes and be you know make necessary changes don't make changes just to make change you've been through that and obviously like that didn't help you just finding you know we said that word when we were talking with 90 plus guys again sebastian and, and ben identity find your identity make your moves based around that and you know sounds like schuster has an identity he said four cornerstones so many times that it may as well he may as well have it tattooed on his arm so like they obviously have a plan. It's just, okay, execute that plan. You've had a whole year to scout players. I mean, most leagues after COVID have been back and up and running. So there's no excuse to saying, oh, he wasn't, you know, players aren't playing. They've had their chance to scout. They've supposedly made all these hirings behind on the recruitment side that we don't know or are close to. So for all we know, those people could have been on the ground doing work. As long as they have all that going on, it, you know, it's it's important for them to do well this off season. Hopefully, they've laid the groundwork to to do well, like like we like you said, because it is a huge off season, and not because yes, they missed the playoffs and they want to get back and they want to be a good team, but it's also they're they're at an interesting crossroads. They've made a lot of moves over the last two years, and there's a lot of players. You're like, okay, they made some good moves there. We talked about it earlier, kind of pre-show. You got you got pieces like in goal, you're set. You got two good goalies and Max Crepo and. And Thomas Hassan, heck, even Evan Bush has looked really good since getting put in, in my opinion, even though he hasn't gotten a clean sheet. You got a guy like Eric Kadoy, top, you know, a top center back and, and some good partners for him. You got Ali Adnan, that he's been a lot more consistent late in, in a league where you typically need at least two DPs to, to be, you know, carrying the team. If they can hit on their other DP, you can keep Ali Adnan if you don't get a suitable offer for him. And then you got guys, you know, all over the pitch, you got good players. It's just, okay, how do we put this together? And where do you find that final piece, final piece to kind of link everything together? And that's why it's so critical because theoretically they could just make one signing. If they sign a, the right midfielder, for example, they could get away with only making one signing this off season, be a lot, a lot better next year. But it's the question is, can they hit? How, how has their scouting been? I mean, Schuster's talked since, September when we we had the first round table with him saying okay we are targeting creative midfielders in the DP price range to make our team better well you've had what's already been two months and you, you theoretically might have a month or another month or two till you sign one you better have it locked down and brought in and know what the profile is and it's just going to be all about execution and plan I think this offseason less so just general turnover bringing in good players make sure they're good but yes they also fit in your team and it's not a mismatch or potpourri of 11 players trying to jam out in the field week in week out yeah i think that's a good way of putting it and i've i've hinted at this a lot both on this podcast and in written work but the the whitecaps just this season didn't have the the depth or the ability to withstand little things not going right like if if one little thing went the wrong way it felt like the whole sandcastle would sort of crumble to the ground, right? And I think you have to, 
whether that's one or two key impact players coupled with depth signings. You have to find a way to build a more solid foundation that when, you know, I mean, you were talking about this with TFC, like Josie Altidore is barely healthy. He's a designated player, but that doesn't sink the ship for Toronto. The Whitecaps need to be in a scenario where they're a little more sturdy against the challenges of a season. It just felt like this year, yes, you have adversity. Yes, you have things going on, but you need to have a roster robust enough to to handle those kind of challenges. And for me, outside of a key creative midfielder, I think it's uh, mission raid the CPL for a lot of your depth signings. I'm definitely going to do some projects, write an article or two this offseason about who the Whitecaps should take a look at. You know, guys that have even recently decided to part ways with their CPL teams. They haven't come to a contract agreement. There's a few enticing enticing guys out there that the Whitecaps should certainly be taking a look at. And, uh, yeah, hopefully Schuster and whoever he's got in that, that mysterious scouting department is, uh, is taking a look at those sorts of things. But it's, uh, it's going to be a long and also pretty short offseason because I don't think we're going to get the – we're not going to get the same slow turnaround time as normal. Things are going to move pretty quickly, but uh, that just means the pressure's on even more for Axel Schuster. But something I wanted to touch on, Alex, that we uh, that you brought out since the last podcast, and I think is appropriate because of what happened during the Timbers match, is your comparison between Ranko Vasilinovic and Derek Cornelius. We saw, again, Ranko kind of out to sea in the middle of that center back pairing, not necessarily losing a marker on the on the Timbers winning goal, but just never really marking anyone properly and leaving Jake Nerwinski with a ton of space to cover as well as Leo Usu and Christian Dahomey. I mean, I guess you could you could kind of pin the goal somewhat on all four of those guys to varying degrees, but uh, it's just kind of more of the same from Ranko where he's not necessarily you know, allowing howlers where he just makes awful defensive errors, but he, he consistently kind of just drops off into no man's land and doesn't really doesn't really mark someone and, and I'd like to see more communication and a little more of that vocal play back there as well because that was one of the things that Axel Schuster talked about a ton going in, how how mature this guy is, the leadership, how he's he's a captain on and off the field and I, I just don't know if we've seen that. But Alex, you dove into the numbers a little bit and looked at some of the nuances of these two guys. So uh, for those that haven't checked out the article, maybe just give us a little summary of, of your findings and how that maybe applies to this past match. Yeah, well, quickly before we I dive in, I mean, to kind of your point before, I, I agree the offseason, hopefully it's fast. I mean, it's November 3rd today. I mean, also yeah. on a side note, hopefully... By the time this podcast out, the world hasn't fallen apart with the U.S. election, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, I mean, just you know, year, the U.S. We're, uh, we're we're counting on you to to figure it out. Like, come on. Yeah, and then in terms of last year, this time it was a. I remember it was the lead up to MLS Cup. At this time, last year the Whitecaps were out on October seventh. Like it was ridiculous. Their season it finished so early. So at least now it's going to be quick. Things are going to come fast. But Ranko Veselinovic, Derek Cornelius. It's, it's an interesting one because I, I think you can pretty much guarantee they'll both be back next year, right? Like No, no reason why they wouldn't sold. be. Like maybe Veselinovic is sold because they triggered his option knowing that someone's looking at him for a higher price. We don't know, but assuming, you know, operating under the, 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 the assumption that they're both going to be back next year. It's, it's an interesting comparison. You look at some of the, you know, counting numbers. I think they're both the same height. They're a year apart in age, or at least, you know, 16 months apart in age. They both played in the first division of Serbia. You know, one's Canadian, one's Serbian. Obviously, one's left-footed, one's right-footed. But there's a lot of similarities there in terms of physical numbers. But when you dive into the numbers, what I found interesting is because first one, at the beginning of the article, I kind of talked the eye test. And I'm like, to describe them, say Cornelius, you think, okay, he's a... He's a guy who kind of sits back and he puts himself between shots. He really gets a lot of blocks and a lot of, you know, a lot of clearances because he gets the ball first. He's no nonsense. He kind of, he does a lot of the little things right. Whereas Veselinovic is more of a, a gambler. He likes to make tackles. He likes to play long balls. He likes to, he likes to pass more. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a scouting, you know, that's a scout's assessment. I think most people would agree 
with me when I say those things. And then when you dive in the numbers, like Cornelius outnumbered Veselinovich in tackles, two to one in successful tackles, which I'm like, okay, he could attempt a lot of tackles. Theoretically, I remember reading what Maldini said about Defeni. He said, if you're making a tackle, you're making a mistake, theoretically, which I don't agree with him on that. But you do wonder, okay, def- say a defender making two tackles a game is a little more concerning than a midfielder making five. For the midfielder, it's great. For the defender, it's like, okay. But then when I consider that, for example, Cornelius, despite making more tackles, gets dribbled past less. He causes more offsides. So he's always in a, in a higher line, a better position. And the Whitecaps always talk about being in a higher line. He has less clearances than Ranko, which I find surprising because Ranko is considered this ball-playing center back that's calm under pressure to see Cornelius have less clearances than him. Yes, Ranko has more interceptions and more blocks, which I did find surprising and credit to Ranko for that. But then when you look at some of those stats and that Cornelius seems to be the better positional center back, he, you know, he, he knows where to stick his feet and he's still his block numbers are comparable to Veselinovic. They're not that far off. And then the one I found most interesting is that the goals added stat, which is an advanced metric that kind of looks at your six actions in a game and how you contribute to the team's success. Cornelius's passing was seen as more valuable to the Whitecaps offense than Ranko's. Which which is really, really surprising and goes against all conventional wisdom on those two players. Oh, and absolutely. And the eye test too. Veselinovic plays these sparkling long balls, these amazing balls but apparently they're not all that productive to helping the white caps attack i mean cornelius plays short balls but to give him credit he gets the ball for example to adnan or his midfielders and he knows that they'll do you know they'll they'll do good things with it i found that really interesting you look at some of the other goals added stats i mean cornelius if i'm not mistaken he veselinovich was better in dribbling and shooting which like as a center back like who cares if i'm gonna be frankly honest Whereas Cornelius, he had fouling, which I, I that's a weird one for me because like I don't know how fouling is seen as valuable, but he somehow his fouls are valu- more valuable than Veselinovic's. To give credit, Veselinovic wins in interrupting, which is a very good stat, and it kind of lends to the idea that he is a bit no nonsense. He does tend to, to to nip things a little earlier, but when you consider those two things, you have to remember: okay, you're looking for a partner for Eric Godoy. This isn't a matter of who's better between the two. Heck, I think Cornelius and Veselinovic would make a great pair together, or at least a pretty good pair. But in a, in a, a place for number two, you have to consider factors. I mean, Eric Godoy, again, we, we know he's elite. And you know, okay, what, what, how do you get the best out of Godoy? You, you know, Godoy can play a high line. Okay, that kind of favors Cornelius. Okay, Godoy loves to make interceptions and reads, kind of like, you know, Corne- like Ranko does. Okay, that does favor Ranko, whereas Cornelius is left that allows Godoy to play on his stronger side. Okay, that benefits Godoy. And when you consider all those factors and the fact that Ranko's had a, had a case of, you know, mistake-itis in recent games, you just wonder why Cornelius hasn't had a chance. Because I think basically to sum this all up, Cornelius is mostly ahead of Ranko and all the stats, not by much, and, but enough to wonder, okay, why does every time Cornelius have a bad game or like a, a mediocre game, or heck, even like last week, a great game, he's yanked, whereas Veselinovic is put out week after week after week. And that's where the conclusion of my article was, you do have to wonder, are the white caps propping up Veselinovic to sell? Are they, you know, are they trying to use his, you know, play him to for ulterior motives? Because frankly, I, I don't think, I mean, Veselinovic technically has cost the white caps points, but what does Cornelius have to do to play? And I think looking at the stats, it was good. It was reassuring to see, Cornelius's numbers fare better because we talk about Cornelius all the time, but it's just good to look at the eye test and kind of con- our numbers and confirm some of our hypotheses. Well, yeah, I think that was, I really enjoyed reading it and it, it confirms at the same time, it confirms our thoughts on the two players, but I think it also underlines the whole fact that these are relatively like, we're not trying to say that there's, a massive gulf between Derek Cornelius and Ranko Vasilinovic. These are very comparable players, and that's why the discussion is so interesting, because there's not a ton separating. And I think there's a lot of merit to, as you said in your article, you're looking for a Robin alongside Batman. And I just feel like the what Derek Cornelius, the kind of lower event nature of Cornelius, 
is more befitting of the Robin role at the end of the day. That's kind of my analysis of it, that Ranko, if he can grow, will be a really good kind of feature Batman center back when he figures things out. But that for now, while you're looking for that complimentary piece and you have Eric Godoy, that DC's kind of the better fit is that, you know, as the one in the sidecar, you know, backing up Godoy when, they, when they're getting into street fights and back alleys. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good way of putting it. And I think, it, again, it's fit as well. Because, I, I, like I said, Veselinovic and Cornelius, I feel like they'd match up really well. And I don't want to be, like, borderline hockey coach obsessive. Like, left foot center back, right foot center back, like hockey guys. Like, left-handed defenseman and right-handed defenseman. Like, no, that doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter as much. Like, Godoy was great on the left last game, for example. But... Veselinovic and him, uh, for whatever reason, if Veselinovic cannot limit those errors, when you have have someone who's good on the bench in Cornelius, why not give Cornelius minutes? He's Canadian. He's, you know, he, he just, it helps to get minutes out of your Canadians and he's been good. There's just so many reasons for him to play. And I think basically my underlying point, like you said, A, the Robin point's a very good one, how Cornelius is a better Robin, but also at the same time that just there's they're so you know they're so equal that why does one get significantly longer leash than the other and i it used to wonder like is it because I, I i might have mentioned it in the in the actually i did mention it in the article like is it because veselinovic comes from a sexier nation where guys like you know nemanja vidic have played for serbia some other hard-nosed center backs you know he's he's played at, at a high level he's younger do you wonder about the sell-on value thing and it's frustrating because i think there should be less of a leash on veselinovic and more of a leash on cornelius and know what rotate them what's the point of having four good center backs if two are just going to sit on the bench for example all the time anyway so that that's just kind of how i feel about that yeah it's uh you know it's a discussion we're going to continue to have throughout this off season because it's it seems to be one of our favorite topics and uh you know hopefully you don't get too bored out there, the listener hearing us rag on about the center back battles. But one guy that I wanted to bring up from the match that I thought stood out to me, I watched, I rewatched that is to say the uh, second half of this Portland match this morning. And look, it's not a perfect product. It's not the most polished game on earth, but Christian Dahomey, both offensively and defensively, he's just buzzing all the time. He works tirelessly He's one of the few Whitecaps players who's constantly looking to create in the final third. And sometimes it's kind of a throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach. Like it's not overly clinical, but two key passes in this match and look good on both the left and the right hand side. When Toss Ricketts came on, he switched and, you know, worked really well with Ali on the left, but also worked well with uh, Jake Nerwinski and Lucas Cavallini on the right. And, uh, He's just a guy I see varying opinion, especially on 86 Forever. There's some guys that, that love coming after Dahomey and saying he's not an MLS quality winger, but uh, I don't know where that's coming from. I'm Well, people are always going to call MLS. I mean, Whitecaps wingers, not MLS quality. I, heck, I remember people reading saying Christian Tachera was an MLS quality. And like, I'm sorry. I know Christian Tachera was an absolute despicable defender, but that was just not, not it. That wasn't it. But yeah, Dahomey just continuing to to impress i i know that the final product wasn't there against portland because it wasn't there for anyone on the whitecaps team but he he continues to really impress and i think along with guys like godoy along with guys like yanio bakel these are guys as you said that you're not looking for massive turnover you need to carefully judge where you want to improve and i think dahomey is a guy you can go forward with without worrying about it too much he has to be one of my favorite signings the Whitecaps have made since Mark DeSantos comes in. It came in, if I'm being honest. Like, if you think about it, I really like the Godoy sign. I think everyone does. But they paid fair value for Godoy. They paid one or two million for a top center back. Guys like Ali Adnan, great player. They paid full value, if not a bit more. Cavallini, they played full value a bit more. You know, Daniel Bikel, we have no idea what he's worth. Maybe if they paid, depending on what they paid, he could end could up being be a great deal. Sign. Could be a terrible deal. We really don't know. Ditto with Leonard Awusa, but like, I just love the process they went through with Dahomey, signing a player in his prime. So like, you know, not too young, not too old. So 
you need, you do need some guys in your prime as much as it would be nice to build a full U23 team. This isn't the Olympics. This isn't a U23 world cup. You need some guys in your prime and then to sign him after a good season too, but also like a season where they kind of look when you scouted him, they kind of, he had good underlying metrics. They signed a, an analytically friendly player, someone who was really good at creating chances for his teammates. He had a good season. Yes, but also he was doing good things off the ball. He was a hard worker humble person they got him from a non-traditional league they got him from colombia via ecuador which is brilliant scouting because you know people are going to be scouting your your boca juniors your river plates your flamingos your fluminense you know or actually i don't even know if fluminense is good anymore sao paulo's you know you, people aren't scouting your independiente de valles and i mean yes i'll be a soccer hipster and flex yes i have an independiente del valle kid in my closet i, I know I, I got it in 20 six 17 when i went to ecuador like i'm a hipster i know of them but not many people out there are scouting players from independiente del valle that's smart and to bring him in I, it must have been 400 or 500k or something like that on the transfer maybe a mil for him to perform as he has despite all the crazy things he's dealt with off the field amazing signing amazing uh, and I think it, there's, and the thing is, he's only scratching the tip of his surface. But again, like I'll say every time I, he's, anyone asks me about him, it's his consistency for a winger. He, he, he's consistent like a center back for a winger. And yes, end product is inconsistent. I don't think there's anyone out there in soccer, barring Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, maybe even Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that can consistently put output every week, week in, week out in terms of creation. So I'm not going to be too mad about that. Yeah, for me, he's right up there with Freddie Montero for my my second half MVP in that conversation. You know what David Milinkovic was for this team in the in the first half of the year that that creator from wide areas, Dahomey and Montero have provided a lot of that in the second half. And you know sometimes it's difficult, but you have to do what you can to separate disappointing results from positive individual performances. And I think Dahomey is a guy you can point at and say, okay, the final result isn't what you wanted, but the, the individual performance within that was actually quite good. Exactly. He, he did what he had to. I mean, again, wingers. It's just unfortunate for him that uh, the Whitecaps off night coincided with his off night in the final third, but I liked his consistency. I feel like someone, you noticed, like, say someone like, oof, I don't want to, you know, like, I don't even know what to say. Like, Freddie Montero, he had an off night. But to yeah. be fair, he contributed in the build-up play. So, I don't, I, maybe Cavallini, but again, Cavallini contributed in the build-up play. So, I don't know. I think that's good to see from your three front forwards that they all contributed despite having off nights because too often you see forwards, you know, they don't play well and you don't notice them. I think maybe to give credit to Mark DeSantos for whatever, you know, he's cleaned out guys like, you know, maybe Jordi Reyna was someone who could be accused of that when he wasn't in the game, he really wasn't in the game. So maybe, you know, to give credit to Mark DeSantos for building a culture and all that, the Whitecaps forwards and players, at least when they don't play well, they work hard and that's, you know, it's something, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good base to build off. And guys like Dahomey, I think are a reason for that. Like how could you not want to work hard when you see him running his bag off and the, from the 90th minute to the first minute, no complaints, no matter what's happening. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring up Montero because it wasn't initially a guy I was going to touch on, but because you brought it up, I think that Montero's performance, and admittedly it was a struggle against Portland, is is a bit of the, the concern with a guy like Freddie going forwards, is that he is on the wrong side of 30. He doesn't. He's never had that supreme athletic ability. He's relied a little more on his guile and his technique. And I think we saw the Timbers defensively really key on, on him and play him physically, sent him to ground a lot, and he just never got into the game. And that's where not having a creative midfielder hurts you because I think the Timbers knew that if they could take Freddie largely out of the game, it would really limit the Whitecaps in attack. And I think we saw that be very effective. So... That is the concern is that Freddie can be, if he's the focal point of an attack, he can be taken out of the game a little bit by physical center backs. And the Whitecaps didn't necessarily have an answer for that. And I think the fact that Lucas Cavallini, as much as he's good at winning balls in the air, doesn't really provide pure hold up play or the ability to distribute that well. 
it, you know, when Freddie's not on, then his ability is limited as well. So while, as you said, I don't think any of the guys, any of those three were particularly poor in this one, it's just having them not fire in all cylinders, you know, it's it's challenging. And and Freddie kind of right now at least has to be on for the Whitecaps to be effective in the final third. You do wonder what's going to happen next year you, because as good as the partnership has been, and we've said that before, I like the partnership. You just wonder long-term, again, 4-3-3 might be the way to go. I, I, I wouldn't mind a platoon of Montero and, and Cavallini in the right circumstances. I think they could work well off each other, rotate in. Sometimes Cavallini gets a rest. Montero gets certain games and, and kind of work off of that. And obviously I'd like to see more Theo Bear, a lot more Theo Bear. I think it's, he's been massively underused this year. And it was a waste, frankly, of a year for him for what should have been a really a, a breakout year. And I mean, he, and he had most flashes of breakout that he just wasn't allowed to build off of for whatever reason. And I hope Theo Bear factors into their plans a lot more next year. And if the choice comes down to Montero or Bear, I'm, I'd probably just long-term, I'd probably pick Bear. Hopefully there's a future where all three of them fit in. They're all playing, you know, you know regularly and contributing. But uh, yeah, I agree. I agree for, for Montero. He's, he's showing some limitations, but also when he's on, he's the best player on the team. Yeah, I think if you're if you're in an ideal circumstance, if you could have him be that backup striker or number 10 next year on a, on a reasonable deal, that, that'd be a situation you're very happy with. But obviously, it depends on a lot of moving parts this offseason, what Montero's looking for. I do think the Whitecaps should have a lot of leverage because he probably doesn't want to move very far away. And unless Portland or Seattle come knocking with a, with a really tempting offer, I, I have to think he'd want to stick with the Whitecaps. But... Uh, only time will tell in that regard. And that kind of brings us to, well, before we get to the third sub of the match, I think we should just talk a little bit about the the usage of substitutes once again. And in a match, you're down 1-0, entering the last 30 minutes, you know, essentially the last 30 minutes of your season, you know, toss rickets for Russell Tybert. Is that, is that the best you can do? I mean, what's the point of having five substitutions if you mismanage them so badly? And boy, it was it, it was tough. And it was tough to watch. The Whitecaps look—it's like the Galaxy game a bit. They were lifeless. They were spiritless, and then just no changes to remedy. And I think Toss St. Ricketts was a great addition to the lineup at that time. But why did he come off and play? Had to play on the wing. Put him up top. Montero and Cavallini aren't feel it. You have to rock the boat. And again. I know Mark DeSantos is like, oh, I want those guys on for game-breaking moments. But at the same time, you just kind of have to accept where you're going to have to adapt your puzzle as much as you want to keep Montero and Cavallini on. When they're not on, there's no point in, in sacrificing in other areas just to keep them on. Take off one, Ricketts in a natural position. Embrace it. You deal with it. You go with that. And that's frustrating for the substitutions. And there's so much that could have been done to liven up the game, and it wasn't. And it's not to say they lost because of the subs, but you, you talk about a very winnable game against a good team. It feels like a very, very missed opportunity because of the lack of consistent subs. Well, what was what was particularly depressing from my perspective was after the Whitecaps made that initial change and brought on toss for Russell Tybert. I think it was you know between the 70th and 75th minute, they were sitting in what can only be described as a mid-to-low block in that 4-4-2 and just allowing Portland to have all the possession and basically just pass it around waiting for an appealing opportunity with little to no pressure on the ball. And you just have to wonder, man, if you get some fresh legs on there, maybe you don't have to play like that. Maybe you're in a position where you can actually press a little higher up the pitch or, I mean, heck, even without the substitutions, why can't you create a little bit more pressure defensively when you're fighting to keep your season alive. It was just, uh, I mean, the two guys that did eventually come on, Michael Baldissimo and Theo Bear, both provided something, but it was just too little too late. And, uh, you know, Baldissimo wasn't a, wasn't a perfect performance. Like a lot of his long balls he attempted didn't come off, but at least someone was trying to advance the ball up the field, play line breaking passes, trying to create something. I mean, getting Ali Adnan further up the pitch. It just 
like the LA Galaxy result, like the last Portland result, again in the last, you know, 70 minute, 70th minute onwards, just a lack of ideas, a lack of creativity, a lack of risk taking, I, I think above anything else was, was frustrating. You nailed it. I mean, I think you nailed it for the, the stubs and the lack of just sub plan. It, it, it's, it's frustrating, I guess, for us to, at the third sub to watch subs go to the waste. Uh, I mean, we should start a fund for just like wasted substitutions, just thinking just, just the ones that go to the wayside. And, and you just watch other teams use their subs so effectively. I think of San Jose you just know that they're going to bring four guys on. They're going to bring the chaos. They're going to bring the storm. Whereas the white caps, you're just sitting there begging like, okay, please bring someone in. Please make a, make a change. And it's, it's, it's tough because there's good guys on the bench. You look at, again, Yobert came on too late, had a great chance. Imagine what he could have got with more minutes. He got to St. Ricketts. I think he was a supreme sub. I mean, there's, there's a reason he was the main sub on a team that won an MLS Cup as probably one of the most dominant MLS teams of all time, if not top three. Like, there's a re- reason why he was involved in that team. I mean, obviously, someone like Milinkovic would have been nice to have on the bench. Obviously, he's dealing with uh, some, you know, some illness or something of the like. But you still look at guys like Michael Baldissimo, again, brought on possibly a tad too late to, to really influence the game and just other other pieces there and you just wonder okay what they could have done had they brought on been brought on earlier even try your screw it bring on Gutierrez and let Adnan run free because I thought Adnan had a good game going forward it's just he was limited into how often he was able to go forward because he was actually doing his defensive responsibilities and doing a pretty good job of them so you just the lack of creative sub plan you'd like to see a little, little more just mad 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 scientists and at least see them fail trying new things instead of just kind of see especially we've seen this before we don't it happens once okay against the galaxy you learn from your mistake you just don't want to see the same mistakes repeated and i mean look if the whitecaps were a very effective team at grinding out draws and you know closing out results late on in matches then we'd have no ground to stand on like if they could use this method keeping guys like lucas cavallini and freddie montero on when they're not creating anything and when they're clearly tired, then, then okay, sure, it's we don't like it, but it works. But in this sense, it's we don't like it and it's not working either. I mean, this is a team that hasn't had a draw all season, so obviously they haven't done a good job grinding out results inside the last 30 minutes. So it's in these matches that are just begging for something to change, begging for an agent of chaos, it's, it's frustrating. But that brings us to the third sum of the match, uh, one of our one of our favorites here on the third sub, Theo Bear, who comes on and uh, I don't want to say almost scores a goal, but had a a decent chance at the back post. And you know, hey, against a a relatively short back four for Portland, maybe a six four aerial presence a little earlier in the match might have been something you wanted to try out. With Theo Bear, he's been third sub of the year. I mean, third sub of the year, third sub of the game, way too much for my liking. Just think he should be playing more. And it's frustrating because he's got, he's always got good underlying metrics. And like, he generates a chance every like five minutes he plays. Like, I haven't checked his XG in a while, but because of that, it must be ridiculous. Like, through the roof for 90 or something like that. So, I mean, if I, if I had to use one word, I'm going to combine it together and be a cheap millennial. I'm going to say hashtag free Theo because we say it every week, but I don't know. He's, he's definitely been one that's his hit it's been puzzling to see what's happened to him this year because he's been so good and he just needs his he needs his opportunities to go out there and, and make things happen and why bring him in so late like you why not pair him with Cavallini for example when Freddie Montero clearly isn't feeling it and let the two big guys run rant like why is that such a reluctant decision why does it have to come so late yeah, my, my word would be redemption because I'm really hoping that 2021 is a redemption year for Theo. And to be clear, not through any fault of his own, just because as you pointed out earlier in the show, this has essentially been a lost year for, for Theo and it's, you know, it's just frustrating, but I, there's so much potential in there. And I, uh, you know, I think his, his holdup play has improved this year in the little bit we've seen, 
his his play on the ball is certainly improved. You know, trying to make little passes, his positioning, a, a lot of things are getting better. But he needs MLS minutes in good circumstances in order to really hone his game and you know iron out some of the little issues that are still there. So, hoping for a redemption arc in twenty twenty one. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. We'll 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 be we'll be hoping for him because yeah, good kid working hard. She needs his. She needs his chances, and he's definitely been someone. He's he's on the cusp of being another Whitecaps Academy success story. They just need to give him minutes, and I think it's only a matter of time before he moves on and does other strong things abroad or wherever he chooses. But I guess on that note, Galaxy. Well, I think we have one little little housekeeping thing we should bring up before we transition to the LA Galaxy preview, and that is something that I believe both of us voted on um, as we were asked to as as media members. And those are the four nominees for the Vancouver Whitecaps Player of the Year. Now, obviously, is this a year in which anyone is super deserving of winning the Player of the Year? Probably not. Has it been such a disjointed and strange season that no one's really put together a an amazing full season performance? For sure. But... Despite all these strange factors, I believe this list was put together in combination by us in the media as well as members of the technical staff for the Whitecaps. I don't know what that split looks like or how exactly it's decided, but the four finalists, as decided by the Whitecaps at the end of the day, are Christian Dahomey, Ali Adnan, Freddie Montero, and Lucas Cavallini. Now... Uh, I'll only speak for myself. I only voted for two of those four that are on the list. Well, do you mind telling me what your your ballot was, your four? So my ballot was Christian Dahomey, Freddie Montero, Jake Nerwinski, which I know is a hot topic, and uh, Davin Milinkovic. So those were those were my four. I oh. think I tried to balance. I tried to balance hot streaks and really top quality play throughout the year with guys that have been consistent. And I think in a year with very little consistency, in particular, Jake Nerwinski and Christian Dahomey, they've had the most quality matches throughout the year probably, whereas Freddie and David Milinkovic have been, maybe had the highest of highs for this Whitecaps team, but it hasn't been as consistent. Well, I voted the exact same for my loan. I was... Between Dahomey and Adnan for my last, yeah, I had which Montero. I think is fair. I had Montero. I had Milinkovic is my no doubt. I had Nairinsky is my no doubt. Montero, I wasn't sure, but I'm just like, okay, he's really had a strong end. And then I had between Dahomey and Adnan, maybe based on how the last game goes, my final. The only change I could see to my final four is maybe see, like have Milinkovic, Dahomey, Adnan, and Nerinsky, possibly, and drop Montero from the MVP. But I think as of the time of some voting, definitely Montero was in 100%. And yeah, I think you nailed the... I mean, there's a reason why we both picked it. It seems to be a good a good four, a good ballot, a good, uh, good, good, yeah, list of, of, of who helped the Whitecaps get points and, and win when they did win. Well, and so it's interesting, right, that the, the two guys that we then have left out that are actually on the list are the two Whitecaps players that I guess are viewed as possessing the most quality and, and, and are kind of marketed and, and viewed the most throughout what, you know, the Whitecaps public presence in Ali Adnan and Lucas Cavallini. And in my estimation, those are more popularity picks or sort of marketing ploys than actually selecting the best players on the Whitecaps this year. I mean, Lucas Cavallini is a quality player. Ali Adnan certainly in the second half has found some nice form, but I just don't think either of those guys are deserving of a full season most valuable player award. I mean, Lucas Cavallini didn't go to MLS's back. So I, I don't know. I think that those are, they're quality players, but in, in my estimation shouldn't be on the on the list for a player of the year. I mean, Adnan was in my top five for sure. So he certainly he's hot. he's made a good case over the last ten matches. He's really really pushed for it. Cavallini, again, like I said, he did win three games for the Whitecaps. He did have three game winners. 
He also two against RSL. Two against RSL, but you know what? You you can only pick, you can't pick who you score against, and he did score his other goal because I guess he only scored in four games. His other goal was against Toronto FC in a big win over a big team. So to give credit, when Cavallini's on, he's really on, and he really drags the Whitecaps along. It's just we didn't see enough of it for what he's paid for him to be in my my MVP list. I think he maybe would have been sixth or seventh if I really drew one, drew drew out a lengthy list, but. I don't know if he's ahead of Eric Godoy, for example, for me, or Thomas Assal, or yeah, I think that those are the two that would go ahead of him before I could consider putting Cavallini on. So he would be eighth. So I've certainly got some ideas about who I'm 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 voting for for Player of the Year, but I think we're gonna maybe save those. I'm gonna at least save it for our kind of end of season podcast or something we do after this last match. So I won't I won't give it away neck just yet, but. From the chats I've had with you, Alex, I feel like we might have different nominees for Player of the Year, so that might be a fun one to discuss at some point. Yeah, I think I, I think I know who I'm voting for, for for Player of the Year. It's tough, but we'll I we'll have I've to see what this last match possesses. But uh, yeah, I think I think we both have pretty good ideas in our mind of who we're who we're edging towards. Well, isn't the award ceremony literally like on the fifth of November before the last game's even played? Is it actually? I mean, last last year we both had the privilege of of attending, I believe. Correct? At, uh... Well, you did. I, I kept my guys, Kevin, well, Kevin and Brian from our team went. I was unfortunately three thousand oh, kilometers away. You were in the T dot. That's correct. Yeah. I could I could only distantly watch what seemed like a very fun gala and good time. So, I mean, this year, yeah, I got to attend virtually. What a what a privilege. I mean, we all get to attend virtually and i mean yeah it'll be fine it'll be good time that it's good honestly it's good this way that all the fans and media and everyone get to attend because it did feel weird that it was just a little exclusive event last year so maybe on one hand we all are privileged and i think that's a good way to end 2020 but yeah definitely definitely did a miss out on that let's just say anyways well regardless of of what comes down with those results we'll certainly be be commenting on them and adding in some thoughts of our own but that pretty much brings us to the preview of the match that probably will mean very little, if anything at all, in terms of the playoff picture, the MLS standings. This is likely two teams that are, you know, well, the LA Galaxy are fully eliminated from the playoff picture, and the Vancouver Whitecaps, barring a miracle, are in the same boat. So we had a coach firing. Is Robbie Keane coming into the fold for the Galaxy? They're coming off a victory against RSL. They're playing Seattle tomorrow night. It's all happening. Uh, Alex, just early thoughts, expectations in advance of this one. Uh, I mean, it would be so MLS, I'd say, for San Jose and LFC to somehow reschedule. LFC batters San Jose. San Jose loses on decision day, leaving the Whitecaps to win and they're in, and they draw the Galaxy to get their first draw of the year and miss oh, out. Don't, don't do that to me. That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> it would like, be very I'm typical saying, though, right? That would be very that'd be very on brand, I was just saying. <laughs> that would be, be very amazing in terms of the meme quality, but I mean either way, this is a good chance to just finish on a high note, get some guys confident, just please, you know, beat the galaxy. You'll, you you had no business dro- losing to them when you played them. So just at least show that okay. No matter what happens, you can if you really want to ride the maybe the the unlucky narrative or this and that, just go go and win, and then just build off of it heading into next year. And you know, it doesn't matter how important the game is to the playoff picture or not. I mean, obviously, it'd be nice if it would mean something for for the playoff picture, but at the same time, you can only control so much. So just just go and have a good game and, and make. Just score some goals. Like you haven't really scored many goals all year. Like go, go, yeah. Just go breach the net a couple of times. Stand on a happy note. It would be really nice to see the Whitecaps play a little more loose and 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 free flowing and try a few different things in this one. I'm not necessarily holding my breath, but I think that would be very positive. Especially if we could see a guy like Ryan Raposo, Theo Bear get on the score sheet. That would be terrific. But in terms of in terms of my notes for the galaxy um something that has helped them out a little bit and 
albeit RSL's been one of, if not the worst teams in MLS in the second half of the year, so I don't know how much stock you could put in it. But they've switched out Nick Dupuis for Giancarlo Gonzalez at center back. I mean, Dupuis started against Portland in that 5-2 throttling, but Gonzalez started against Vancouver and then started again against Real Salt Lake. And um, the the Costa Rican, he's, he's into his 30s now, but has a, has a good resume, played in Serie A for a while there with Palermo and Bologna, and now has kind of come into the fold with the Galaxy, finding some more consistent starts, and he had a really, really good performance against RSL, scored a goal on a, on a set-piece header, and then also had a very acrobatic kind of diving flick to save it off the, off the goal line on a potential RSL goal. So I think that's something that, as much as... The Galaxy have been very, very poor defensively this year. That's been a little bit of a positive storyline over the last couple matches, so I think we can expect him to get the start again and you know, maybe provide a little more solidarity back there for the Galaxy. But uh, that RSL goal, the one that they did score against LA, it was again kind of exposing the fact that the Galaxy are not great at defending on the break, and I think especially their, their fullbacks are an area that can be attacked. So guy like Dahomey, if he's in the lineup again, has the chance to run at defenders and create something. I don't know how Russell Tybert in that left wing spot fits versus the Galaxy. I don't know if it really worked out as well as you might have wanted last time. So it'll be interesting to see if the Whitecaps try to, you know, maybe this is the time to just go for the 4-3-3 and try it, even if it's not the right fit. But uh, I don't know. We'll have to see how things develop this week and if at some point that San Jose LAFC match is officially just called off and canceled, then maybe that frees the Whitecaps up a little bit more, knowing that there's nothing really to play for this weekend. I mean, yeah, the Galaxy fired a coach probably too late, to be honest. They could have really pushed into the playoffs. Like it, it, MLS is a league where you just need to make the playoffs in good momentum and you can go far, but... It'll, it'll be interesting to see how they match up against the Whitecaps this time around. I mean, the Whitecaps should definitely, again, like I said, should have bought, beat them in match two, and they easily could have pulled off the sweep, the three for Oa coming into this game, had GBS stuck around. But like you said, Giancarlo Gonzalez was a revelation on, on Sunday. I mean, they sorted out a bit of their, their defense. They looked a little more – they just looked a little more alive. They looked like a team that, that needed that that relief. And – for what it sounds like of Guillermo Barros Soloto, he was more of a, a manager than a coach. He was more someone that managed players, managed egos, managed personalities. And that must, you know, it works at Boca Juniors where you got a talented group of players that mostly, you know, as long as you have a coach dealing with that stuff, that, that works. It's a, it's a team where you can, you're, there's a lot more depth across the roster. You, there's no salary cap restrictions. In MLS, maybe someone like Chicharito or Pavone doesn't really need coaching, and really not Pavone, because look how good he's been. But some guys like a Nick Dupuy or um, other vet, you know, MLS depth guys that are aren't maybe at the tactical level or as or as good or as deep as a Boca Juniors team do need that coaching. And I think it'll be good for them to to f- maybe find a guy that can help them or find a coach guy woman for all we know i mean hey maybe they could consider someone like jill ellis like dc united is smartly considering to to sort out their their problems she's an excellent coach and she'd really you know she she could really help the team go forward but they just need anyone like that anyone with the coaching pedigree who can help them get a lot of their depth players because their issue lately hasn't really been stars they've had good stars heck ibra dragged them to a playoff spot they had no business being in they just need to sort out the depth in other areas of their team yeah, as you as you mentioned, you know the the top player for the Galaxy and Christian Pavon has been really really good, and no better example than the the goal he scored against RSL, where he literally ran from the halfway line and beat two or three RSL defenders before just kind of doing a a little outside of the foot toe flick into the into the far corner of the goal. It was a a beautiful one that I'm sure the Argentinian national team was keeping a bit of an eye on and saying, man, that's something we, we'd like to see in our team. And he's a, he's a bright star that, you know, I think it was, I think it was Manuel maybe, or one of our, one of our friends on, on Twitter that 
tweeted out something to the effect last time uh, the Whitecaps played LA Galaxy. I think it was Peter like, Galindo. Oh, it's Peter Galindo. It's like every time I see Pavon the field, and it's like, like a gif of here? what are you doing here? Why are you here? Because he's just he's got quality that extends well beyond major league soccer and it's only a matter of time before he moves to a big club because he's he's got that big match big game potential and he can just you know flip things in a moment and that that would be my one note about going into this match is if we draw back to the last matchup between these two teams Pavon sets up the game winner and it's like gee you might have wanted to mark that guy a little bit tighter so if the Whitecaps are leading or things are tied going into the final few minutes of this one on the weekend, might want to think about just throwing a man on Pavon trying to take him out of the game. So what would you do for the Whitecaps to look at a guy like Pavon quality with that DP spot this offseason? Like, what were the things you would do for a Pavon on this Whitecaps team right now? Yeah, th- things I'm not going to say on this podcast, but you get the idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think on that note, I think there's not much to talk about. We went through it last time. I mean, again, midfield, if the LA Galaxy sum it up, up front, strong, midfield, questionable, defense, hit or miss, goalkeeper, seems to have been solid. New coach, could be a boost. White caps, mystery bag. Not much to say about this. We'll find out if we're – at this point, the, the preview previews have been proved to be an exercise in futility. We've only got one more. I mean, should we even go? Should we go for the predictions and try oh, to? Yeah, we were absolutely going for the predictions. I mean, albeit I didn't get the scoreline right, but so far my three-match plan of the Whitecaps losing to the Sounders, losing to Portland, and now, in theory, beating the LA Galaxy. It's it's all going according to plan at the moment. But I have to admit, I'm a bit shaken because. I would have actually been far more confident if the Galaxy hadn't fired their coach. This new coach bump is a real thing that has me a little bit scared. The fact that they've found a better center back pairing, the fact that Pavon is still firing on all cylinders, it has me scared. It has me kind of thinking that the Whitecaps are going to drop this one as well. But I think that I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the Whitecaps just go for it in this last match, that they know they're eliminated from the playoffs. They play a 4-3-3 because why not? And they maybe bag two or three goals. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, I am i don't know. Are we going to do lineup predictions or are we just going to do score predictions? Because the lineup, lineup can... predictions is you put 20, all 23 players on a dartboard and you throw darts and you, your first 11 guys is your lineup, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the lineup predictions, I think, are very dependent on when we get news about San Jose's status, like I think that that could have a big effect on how this Whitecaps team lines up. So I don't want to make any predictions there without that knowledge, but I'm going to say a 3-1 victory for the Whitecaps. So that preserves the record of no draws in the season. That gives us a high-scoring output we haven't seen in a while, but that also preserves the, it would be 19 matches to finish the season without a clean sheet. So I think that that's kind of like the peak mean, white caps in 2020 result. That would be everything. My whole prediction scheme falling into place. I'm I'm hoping for this wide open affair that we haven't seen that often this season. And so maybe it's overly hopeful, but that's what I'm going with. I mean, I'm saying, what, what was the exact result? You cut out for the number on my end. Three, three one white caps. Okay. Cause like, I want to say, Three two, but I don't want to be that similar. Like that's okay. if that's what you're feeling, go with it. Don't let me stand in the way. I mean, I'd say three two if there's no playoffs on the line, because the Whitecaps have typically done well on dead rubber games in, in past. I mean, yeah. last year they didn't do well, but they did beat the Galaxy four three in a dead rubber. They did beat. I remember a few years ago they pounded Portland to eliminate Portland from the play, or you know, mess up Portland's playoff hopes when they were. Out, a Whitecaps were already out. So if there's no playoffs on the line, three two. If the, there is some for some reason playoffs, one one Vancouver to to ruin it. But I'll say three two. But just yeah, just so remember the one one draw. I'll add that if if mind. by some miracle, and now I'm by no means a a MLS at large insider, but I think reading between the tea leaves, so to speak, the chances that 
that San Jose LAFC match goes ahead or, in, or incredibly small. Like I feel like if they haven't found a solution at this point, it's, it seems unlikely to happen. So I'm not expecting this final match for the Whitecaps to matter. But if for some reason it does, they're going to lose 1-0 again. That, that's my prediction. They're going to play a style where they're just going to try to eke it into the 75th minute and hope for a late goal, and it's not going to pan out. And We're going to have a very similar result to last time out. But because I don't think this match will matter, I'm going for the wide-open 3-1 Whitecaps victory. Yeah, I mean, I'd say 3-2 just because chaos, it's LA Galaxy. Every team forgets how to defend build the morale Whitecaps get a win call it a day but yeah I think that's that's about as much as I have to say on that yeah let's hope let's hope that this last match of the Whitecaps' season is a really enjoyable one maybe we see some young players thrive maybe we see some standout individual performances it's a shame Michael Baldissimo won't be available that's a bit of a letdown but other than that just looking for some positivity to end the season and I think Alex and I, we're going to start to workshop and think about not only topics, areas of discussion for the offseason, but also guests we could have on, you know, different projects we could get into, whether it's the Canadian women's national team, whether that's Canadian men's national team, CPL, you know, big picture white cap stuff. We're going to workshop and try to get into all this. So as much as the season coming to an end is a disappointment, it's also a huge opportunity to get into some other stuff on the podcast which i think we're both looking forward to so uh thanks everyone for listening and uh alex any final thoughts before we shout out our socials and sign off yeah i think uh we'll definitely put some working on the ground in the off season i will definitely i feel like we'll be pretty consistent i think we'll still have episodes of just us blabbering about whatever is going on but you know would like to get some guests to talk heck maybe even we can uh Maybe we'll, we'll work on securing a possible, you know, a player, a coach in the Whitecaps or CPL or Canada, any of those landscapes. I feel like it'd be interesting to get inside of that, but we'll, we'll stay in touch and we'll we'll definitely see what the offseason holds. So on that note, Twitter at Alex Gunger is like at BTS Fence. Did find me there? And Sam, I'll let you wrap everything up. Yeah, you can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com, where I should be dropping a little kind of day, couple days after debrief of the Whitecaps lost to Portland. Uh, should be out there shortly. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week leading up to this final match. And uh, we'll chat again soon.